When again, it's absolutely better if the Patriots were to try to trade for Mike Frabel. They would be they would be giving away keys to their future in order to bring him in, right? Like you know, like. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Wednesday, November 29th. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. You can follow me on social media at Easton Freeze. Joined, as always, by producer JT, who you can follow on social media at JT underscore Runky. JT, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I thought you were about to say something else. I was. I, the, the, my cadence there was bad. I wanted to. I wanted to get the "How are you?" out of the way because I have something else to ask you about. But first, okay. how are you yeah. doing? No, I'm, I'm great. Afternoon? I was. I was waiting for the for the second part of that. Okay, but so here, I'm here's good. the second part. Here's okay. the second part. I can't believe we're we're doing this, but I, I simply can't resist. Um, today we've got a lot of really interesting things to talk about uh, regarding Tennessee Titans. We're going to talk about the downright slanderous report from. Uh, a man also named Bedard up in New England about Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel. And we're going to discuss the entire Mike Vrabel story, non-story, whether or not he is wanting out, whether or not he would be interested in going elsewhere at the end of the season. All of those things we'll discuss today. The hottest topic in Titans world today, as well as Jalen Duncan and some offensive line thoughts. And then we're going to talk about, yes, the playoffs in the NFL and the uh, kind of a league wide picture of, just how crazy this year is and how exciting it should be down the back third of the schedule is kind of, I think we're about two thirds of the way through the year now. So we've got the home stretch coming up and that's exciting. Got all that to do as well as some sponsor shout outs here at the top. So let me get that out of the way. We are brought to you today and every day on the hot read podcast by Boomba's craft pizza and tap house, a wonderful dining establishment. We love going to Boomba's craft pizza and tap house each and every Thursday afternoon. We do our show, this show, Live from Boomba's in Spring Hill. It's the Spring Hill location. It's about 20, 25 minutes down uh, Interstate I-65 if you're in the Nashville area. Very easy little drive down there to come hang out with us because we do our shows at 530 Eastern Central. Eastern Central. Nice. Central Standard Time uh, from Boomba's Craft Pizza and Tap House. And then we hang out and watch Thursday Night Football after the show each and every week. And it's a great time. We hang out with whoever is coming. We do gift card giveaways each and every week. So if you just come say hi, you can eat or drink on us. Don't know how much more I have to tell you about that. That should sell itself. That is free food, free drink, and a free good time watching football. And we love eating and drinking at Boomba's Crap Pizza and Tap House. And we love that they sponsor this show. So we appreciate them. If you're listening with us live today, two things. One, Go over to Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page. If you're watching on Twitter or on Facebook, that's great. That's awesome. We appreciate you. But you'll have a better viewing and listening experience if you go over to Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. That's Broadway Sports Media. Their website, or excuse me, their channel on YouTube is where you can find this live stream. And in the comment section of that YouTube video, that is where you'll be able to be a part of the conversation. See, we already got at least one person in there, Logan, one of the Hot Read Apocalypse, the horseman of the Hot Read Apocalypse, uh, with us already. He says, the Hot Read podcast where you have a sexy man and a host wearing a hat. Cool. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so join the conversation over there on YouTube. And if you are not subscribed to our YouTube, do us a huge, huge personal favor. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification button if you are a frequent listener and want to be notified when we're going to go live, which we do three times a week during the season. 
that is super helpful to us. We want to get that subscriber number up as much as possible, and it's free to you. So why not just go ahead and hit subscribe and help us out? All right, JT. Now I've I've buried the lead tremendously. The thing that we're talking about today, above the offensive line, above the playoffs, above Rand Carthen slander and Mike Vrabel um, potentially wanting out. We're going to start with a hockey story today, and I'm going to introduce the players involved here. And then I would like for you to tell our fine listeners your understanding of the story, the timeline here. Just br- just very briefly, we'll spend five minutes on this, but I find it fascinating. Um, Connor Bedard, the most anticipated, greatest prospect in the history, well, maybe not the history of hockey, but in 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 all of hockey in I don't know how many years, a very, very long time. He's the golden child. And he was drafted first overall by the Chicago Blackhawks this past offseason. The Blackhawks also acquired another player named, what's his name, Perry? What's his first name? Corey Perry. He's Corey a, Perry. Uh, I want to say he's almost a 10-year veteran in the league now. He okay. was a former... Um, he was a former Tampa Bay Lightning player, so I've had the there pleasure of watching him. Good player, right? Quite some, a player you want to um, keep on your team, typically? He's a, he's a, well, a yes and no. Player? He's a rosterable player, of course. Um, he is someone who is always a grinder in the playoffs, someone who can get help you get there. But for the right. last couple seasons, uh, he's been known to literally get to the, to the Stanley Cup finals for the last four years or mm. so, and then not win any of them. So, mm. um, but, but he does, he does help your team and he's a, he's a very, uh, well-respected vet, at least for his playing skills. That is. So walk us through what and how how long has this rumor been swirling? Has it been a week? Has it been months now that this rumor has been swirling? This is this has been three or four days worth of, of rumor. This is okay, not. So what's the rumor something. and then what happened today? This is more your territory. So I'd like. To yeah. So this. so and I I was not very privy to this very much until yesterday when I started seeing it um, wave around. But the rumor is that Corey Perry um has family friendly been, by the way family, family friendly, friendly has been having um, relations <laughs> relations with the first overall next star of the nf nhl connor bedard's mom zach wilson's oh, style Corey um, zach that, wilson perry is who we're yeah, talking as about right les here. logan says in the chat that has been the speculation and there's been a couple of chicago beat reporters who came out last night and said that is not the case these are not true however hang on I hang on, hang on. And, hang on before you before you say this those rumors kind of came out of nowhere. Like until today, we had no reason to because, believe that they were because, true. We didn't know where they were coming from. Mostly because Corey Perry has been put on leave the past couple of days for um, certain, uh, <laughs> certain for some reason. No way, and Logan. this is where this rumor came from. Okay, I don't okay. know who started it, but it has gained some traction. And most people um, thought it thought it would be real. Some beat reporters said it was not real. However, and today, this morning we got <laughs> a, a statement from the Chicago Blackhawks on Corey Perry, which oh, no. says as follows. After an internal investigation, the Chicago Blackhawks have determined that Corey Perry has engaged in conduct that is unacceptable and in violation of both the terms of his standard players contract and the Blackhawks internal policies intended to promote professional and safe work environments. <laughs> As such, Corey Perry has been placed on unconditional waivers in the event Mr. Perry clears waivers. We intend to terminate his contract effective immediately. Now, unbelievable. It's now these, these it could be a totally different different reason as to why no no i refuse to why the chicago blackhawks however however the fact that they put in there that 
he has he has been in violation of the Blackhawks internal policies intended to promote professional and safe work environments is yeah. the thing that really drives it yeah. home right there. And no, it's I amazing. It, it of course it would happen to the NHL team that has been in the most hot water for the for a better part of a decade in True. these sort sort of scandals with sexual assault and just kind of turning a blind eye to to a lot of the things that they've done. So they've been in some hot water. So I get why they said it. Over it's like it's a double edged sword here, man. Like it's, here's, it's like, here's so the most funny. amazing part of this story to me, right? Of course, everybody's speculating now that 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 statement the way that they phrased it certainly makes it seem like sleeping with the star player's mom would fit the bill for why you are getting your your contract terminated here's the craziest part to me two two situations here like one of these two things is true either it's true and he really was sleeping with connor's mom which is crazy and incredible and amazing and hilarious or this is the crazier alternative it's not true he wasn't sleeping with connor's mom but Chicago's PR team believes that it is better to let everyone in the world believe he was sleeping with Connor's mom than to tell us what he actually did. So either he slept with Connor's mom and it's true or what he did is so unspeakable. They would rather let his his and Connor's and Connor's poor mother, maybe poor. I don't know. Maybe she actually is culpable in this. They were all their reputations be besmirched and dragged through the mud and laughed at for the next couple of days. They'd rather let all that happen then tell us what this Perry guy did. Either way, it's my favorite. It's the story of the week of the year of the century. I love it. It's amazing. It's great. And, and of course, 15 minutes later, after he was put on waivers, the boys club of boys clubs, the Boston Bruins picked him up, which is just <laughs> oh, so, so, perfect. so perfect for mm, him. What a great fit for him. And yeah, it, it is a story that kind of took me by surprise last night and then whiplashed me back today once that finally came down. So uh, I'm interested to see what the, what the fallout is here going forward. I don't know the backstory. Maybe I'm too young for this. Tighten up Tony in the comments says LeBron went through this situation. Did he? Are we sure about that? like maybe I just maybe I missed this, uh, but he turned into a goat. So maybe this is maybe this is Connor Bedard's like origin story. Maybe this is what really flips the switch for him and he becomes the greatest ever. I don't know. Um, speaking of Bedard's unrelated to Connor, not 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 going to connect these people because they're unrelated. However, they share the last name. Uh, Greg Bedard is a writer for the uh, the Boston Sports Journal, a reputable publication up in the New England area. He has, I believe he's the founder and president of that, of that publication. And he has been covering the Patriots and Boston area sports for a long, long time. Folks who we trust and friends of the show, friends of ours, such as Paul Kaharski this week have vouched for the fact that over the years, Bedard has been a responsible, reliable, trusted source on all things Patriots and Boston area sports. And he wrote a story this week about a topic that has been discussed for what's been a month, month and a half now. We've been discussing Mike Vrabel and the rumors about him potentially wanting out of Tennessee, the rumors about him and new GM Rand Carthen potentially not having a great relationship or butting heads or there being a power struggle and Rand Car or excuse me and Mike Vrabel potentially being a target for the New England Patriots if and when they let go of uh, the greatest coach of all time Bill Belichick. This story got a lot of traction, and this this isn't this isn't not Greg's story, but the entire story got a lot of traction after Mike Vrabel spent the Titans bye week up in New England, sitting in that box, the owner's box, with owner uh, Mr. Kraft of the New England Patriots, 
Bob Kraft and him got along very well. They have always gotten along very well. And Bob Kraft said on the record that Mike Vrabel would be a dream heir apparent to Bill Belichick. He would be a dream head coaching hire for him personally down the road. That's what kind of sparked this conversation. And lots of folks in New England for weeks now have been talking about the potential of them trading for Mike Vrabel. And again, trading is the operative word. I made a very stupid mistake. Hand up on that. I get, but I, in sports media, good sports media in, to me is, is about victory laps when you're right and making fun of yourself when you're wrong. And I try my best to do both. I was very wrong about this on Twitter earlier this week. I made a stupid um, post that I just I, like I really wasn't thinking. And I said, you know, Vrabel going to New England, the, the, the argument has been like, well, why would he want to go to New England when the as, as many roster deficiencies as Tennessee has, New England has more. And I said, well, maybe that the math on that changes if and when they have the first or second overall pick in this draft. Duh. The reason why that's a dumb thing to say, stupid Easton, is because they would have to give up that pick and likely more to get Mike Vrabel in a trade. Because again, Mike Vrabel is under contract with the Titans. The Titans couldn't tell him he can't go work at McDonald's or in the healthcare industry. He could quit and go do that, but he couldn't go work for another professional sports team in the NFL um, without them agreeing to a trade. And so... Greg Bedard wrote this story and there was a lot in there about um, about what he has heard. He's been apparently he's been working on this story for a couple of weeks now. He's been discussing with his, I'm sure, very long list of uh, league contacts behind the scenes, scouting contacts behind the scenes, just what the situation is with Mike Vrabel and with Rand Carthen and their relationship and where Vrabel's head is at and all of these things. And so to give credit to the original source of this discussion, JT. I'm, I'm struggling here. To, here we go. Pulling up the actual writing from him. So here's what Bedard wrote, an excerpt from our buddy Zach Lyons over at Football and Other F-Words and a football show here on the 440 podcast. He tweeted out earlier this week, this is from Zach. This comes from Greg Bedard of the Boston Sports Journal. He's been covering the Patriots since Vrabel was a player. Pretty interesting stuff about the Titans head coach and other twists in this Vrabel Titans Patriots love affair. Here's the expert excerpt of the story that he tweeted. This is from Bedard, and I quote, many believe that Vrabel was put in the position of being a strong head coach and wanted the hiring of Van Carthen as GM. That is incorrect. That was a shotgun marriage by ownership. NFL sources believe the league had a heavy hand in owner Amy Adams Strunk hiring Carthon, a top minority candidate. Vrabel and Carthon had no previous relationship, and it's believed that they don't have much of one now. There have been issues with Carthon's job performance even back to his 49ers days. League sources believe that Vrabel could be looking for a way to force his way out of Tennessee after this season, and the Patriots would be an obvious landing spot, if not the front runner. Could the Crafts trade Belichick to the Commanders, Chargers, or Panthers, and then secure Vrabel? It's not out of the realm of possibility. And this, the sentence in that excerpt that I and many others took issue with was this one. There have been issues with Carthon's job performance, even back to his 49ers days. I responded to that tweet from Zach, and I said, that sentence, that's a statement that I need like a ton of explanation on because folks like us on this show, JT, folks like Zach, folks like Mike Herndon and Paul Kaharski and Joe Rex Road and all everybody that has been working in the Nashville and Titans sports media market since the hiring of Rand Carthon, I think are probably the best sources, uh, the most well read on Carthon's qualifications on Carthon's uh, ability to do the job and his reputation with past employers, with past coworkers, uh, with, with former organizations and everything. I mean, everything that we have heard 
and dug up and seen and read and found since his hiring has really been glowing. It has all been positive. He's gotten pretty stellar reviews from everybody that he's worked for or with in the past. They all have said that he's deserving and will do a good job. Mike Vrabel publicly has done nothing but praise the work that he and Rand Carthon have done together. So until this, on the Carthon front, we really didn't have any reason to believe that Rand Carthon was unqualified or that folks that have worked with or around him believe he may not be fully qualified and and taken even further the implication here in the article is that he's unqualified and folks think that his his work he's got folks have had some issues with his performance in the past and and greg implies in this article that he was he was like a minority hire like that he was an an equity hire and the, the league was pushing the hiring of a black man as a gm on the titans organization because of the color of his skin and not the content of his character, as the saying goes, or in this case, the the quality of the job that he can do for them. Now, Bedard was on our favorite person in the world, Jared Stillman's radio show yesterday. And credit where credit's due, Stillman, well well done. This is, this is a big story. Stillman gets him on the, on the radio show and asks him the relevant questions. So well done to Jared on that front. But he was asked about that line. There have been issues with Carthon's job performance, even back to his 49ers days on the radio show yesterday. And here, JT, is the full transcription. I went through and clipped and typed out the entire transcription of Greg Bedard's elaboration is the kind way of putting it. I would say super epic backpedaling, hilarious backpedaling of monumental uh, of monumental heights on that claim. And before I read this to you verbatim, because I think it's important to read, and it's also very funny to read, um, I have to clarify that this is word for word what he said on the radio yesterday. The only editorial liberties that I took with this transcription was I removed, and you're not going to believe this when I when I read it out loud. I have already removed more than half of the filler words, pauses, and ums in this in this statement. I, I got it all typed out and decided I needed to remove over half of them because it was literally unintelligible. You couldn't read it and understand it. So what I'm about to read to you is the more fluid and more intelligible version. So here's what Bedard had to say. Quote, well, you know, I'm not going to get into specifics because I I don't know the facts. I'm just I'm just relating um, first, like why, why Vrabel might not think the Titans are an advantageous position for him. And from what I've been told, you know, and like you, I don't know Rand Carthon at all. I mean, from what I know about him, um, he came up in the right way through the NFL and working his way through. He worked for a great organization, the 49ers. I don't know him at all. I know him to be from talking to people, certainly very personable and the kind of guy who gets along with everybody and things like that, you know, but like, you know, as far as, you know, Rand's job performance, I mean, you know, I asked people like, well, how come? Why wouldn't that work? And that's that's the feedback that I got. I I don't know him at all. I'm not going to get into specifics because I'm not. It's not like I'm reporting a story on the Titans and you know making allegations. But you know there are things around the scouting community. You know not anything major. I wouldn't say that it's you know mostly minor, but that some people take issue with that. And I don't know if that has. I don't know whether it has anything to do with his relationship with Mike Vrabel. I mean, I, I think that that's sort of a minor thing when you're talking about, you know, a head coach 
whether he wants to stay in a certain place or he sees the potential for, you know, a job opening in a place that he might want to work that he's talked fondly of. It's more of like, do I see myself? Is this a position where I want to be aligned with this person? Just overall, in terms of our vision for building a franchise, building a team, do we see things the right way or do we see things the same way? You know, is this the type of guy who's going to get me the type of players that I want, or is he going to get the type of players that he wants? And, you know, I think those are the, those are more of the major decisions that go into, you know, any sort of decision for Vrabel to say that, you know, maybe he would want to work someplace else. End quote. Um, where to begin on Let's that? Let's break it down. Let's, Let's break, break that down. down. Let's break that down. I've read this three times now, and even after <laughs> hearing you say it, say it, I'm just as confused. Like, <laughs> it's he, crazy. It's he, crazy. I, there, there. I really don't think that there was one, like, there was one thought. There was not one from beginning to end thought that in that entire time. You like, know, in like was, sixth grade English class, you learn about like passive and active talking and like trying to write with an active voice. There's not a single bit of grammatical active voice there. It is all backpedaling to the point of running backwards. The the number first of all, you know, is clearly this man's fit. I mean, there's a reason. There's a reason this guy is a writer, not a broadcaster. You can tell. Um, he loves the words you know. And again, I removed over half of them from the transcript. What I just read for you was was missing a lot of the you knows and ums and repeated words. But like you said as far as like the closest he gets to backing up that claim that again, quote, uh, there have been issues with Carthon's job performance, even back to his 49ers days. The closest he gets to that is saying, trying to find it here in this mess of a, this web of a, here we go. Uh, it's not that I'm reporting a story on the Titans. Yes, you are. But you know, uh, and I'm not making allegations. Yes, you are. But, you know, there are things things around the scouting community, not anything major. I would say that it's mostly minor, but some people take issue with that, whatever that is. Again, something minor that is left unnamed. And he said, I don't act. He said that I, that minor thing that he doesn't name. He doesn't even know if that has anything to do with his relationship with Mike Vrabel, which he in the article besmirches and, and calls out as potentially. And, and, and to be fair to like. I guess not to Greg because he doesn't deserve fairness on this, but, but to us and to folks confused by this, I have been informed by some folks that are closer to the new England media circuit. And it sounds like this Bedard fellow who I didn't know anything about until this article, it sounds like he's gained a reputation in some people's opinion. Again, I'm not, it's not my opinion. Cause I don't, I don't know the guy's body of work, but in many folks opinions, it seems like this guy has a long history of because he happens to be the founder and president of his publication saying whatever he wants and making specious claims like this, that he's hoping get some traction, but then don't get too much traction. And when they do like this, he likes to say, you need to just trust me, bro. And we're going to let it, we're going to sweep it under the rug. And, uh, it's, 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 he's defining, like, I heard a guy say journalism, which isn't journalism. It's incredible. If you are Greg Bedard or anybody, and you're going to make a claim like that, claiming that folks who have like, it's, 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 it, he's vandalizing his, his reputation. I mean, this is, he's besmirching the good name of, of Rand Carthen by saying he's done bad work in the past and implying that he was a minority hire. It's, it's an, it's kind of an insane thing to say it's slander, right? I mean, is that, is that a step too far to say that 
that's pretty slanderous considering he couldn't back any of it up. I mean, yeah, the biggest problem I have is that when you say there are allegations around the scouting community, like, um, I, like you can't make any up, like you yeah, can't like give us allegations answer. of what, of, of what think, I, exactly. And I think like still, yes, what is the allegations that, and I think I saw this post to add to the conversation here. A friend of our friend of the show, Sam Fallon over at A to Z says, yes, uh, Rand Carthen, he brings up a good point that Rand Carthen was mostly involved in the, the back rounds of the draft. That was his bread and butter for the 49ers. That was his scouting. So like, the big and I'm not trying to put words into Bernard's mouth because clearly he can't put any words into his mouth either. <laughs> like, but I'm, but I'm trying mouth. to just find any way that this like makes sense. And the thing that I think made the most sense is um, this and saying, well, he's only scouting the lower round guys. So can he really have this good t- talent evaluation to get blue chippers? Like, I think that might be. Okay, fine. Where he's going. There's, but there's a there's a Grand Canyon sized difference between questioning whether or not somebody's lack of experience in a certain area will be will cause that will be detrimental to them succeeding in that area in the future. Questioning the lack of experience and questioning the quality of their work because he specifically says that there have been questions and issues with his job performance. Even back, and it's interesting. He says even back to his 49ers days, which to me, because the only like the only thing after his 49ers days is Titans days. So is he saying that he's heard there have been issues with his job performance since joining the Tennessee Titans? That's how I take that to mean that it's it's he's had issues in Tennessee and also had issues with the 49ers. I believe in that Sam Phelan tweet that you have pulled up. Sam listed uh, the we talked about this back in the spring when he was hired, but the the list of players that he helped if not was you know primarily responsible for bringing in to the 49ers team it's it's a pretty impressive list isn't it yeah i mean just a couple of the ones that he's as sam points out the the players that he has helped san francisco acquire in rounds five through seven since being hired in 2017 george kittle richie james dre greenlaw juan jennings tal Talanoa Hufanga, Elijah (laughs) Elijah Mitchell, and Brock Purdy, all guys that were later round guys who have turned into very core pieces for this, for that 49ers team. And so let's talk about that. Like, let's get off of what Bedard said and, and talk more about like the validity of this. Cause again, it's, it's more than what Bedard has been talking about. We've, we've heard from like our buddy, Braden Gall here at the, at four forty and on a football show, Timmy Sama in the, in the comments says that, but I love that he's spelling buck B U C and not B U C K He's referencing buck rising. Of course, our friend buck. Um, I, I like that. We're spelling his name. Like, like it's short for Bucky's instead of buck. <laughs> um, so we're going to rock with that. But he says, buck has heard all of this. So is buck lying. And Timmy also says that he believes there is some truth here, boys. So, like, let's talk about this because I, I want to be as crystal clear as possible. I am not saying that I know for a fact that Rand Carthen has been perfect here in Tennessee. Like, there's a big difference between talking about his job performance in the past and talking about his job performance now. What Bedard did was question both. But specifically, by name, he questions his, his, his job performance in his, quote, 49ers days. We have heard nothing but positive things from everybody with the 49ers organization, from the GM to the head coach to players. I mean, George Kittle 
back when he was hired by the Titans had a, a long talk about how he was always a big fan of Rand Carthon and was a great guy in the front office and is going to do great things. The GM also had, had a, a long, a long uh, statement on that. I mean, Rand Carthon notoriously was sent by the 49ers organization to Debo Samuel's house when Debo and, and AJ Brown and DK Metcalf that offseason where all those guys were trying to get paid and Debo was very disgruntled. He was sent, Rand Carthen was, to Debo's house in order to smooth that over and get the deal done and get get to, to, to marry the two sides once again and smooth things over. That's the kind of person that the 49ers saw Rand Carthen as, and clearly the, the Titans see that kind of thing in him because they hired him to be the GM of their franchise, not a job that you, you hire lightly, right? And so for Timmy to say, like, bringing up examples like Buck Rising, like uh, Braden. I've heard from others who I'm not going to name who said they've heard some things in and around the building. We've been talking about this in the show. I am not saying that I know that things are perfect and peachy and, and sunshine and rainbows and unicorns in the Titans front office in the, in the Titans building between the front office and the coaching staff. Like I'm sure that there is some natural tension there because guess what guys, when your football team isn't good and you're losing football games, it, like f- find me a team that has been on a long losing streak or is in like, a, you know, they've, they've, they've really lacked talent and, and lacked success for like a calendar year, which is where the Titans are at this point that everything's hunky dory and nobody's pointing fingers at, and nobody's a little bit tense. Like that's the nature of not succeeding in such a high stakes business like the NFL. So I'm sure, I'm sure that there is some, some issue there. And maybe it's maybe the relationship between Rand Carthen and Mike Vrabel that apparently may not exist very much. I, it wouldn't shock me at all that those two don't have a, a great relationship yet. I do believe that when he came in to the Titans, they didn't have a relationship beforehand because both of them have said as much that they kind of met on the job, which again is not a, necessarily a bad thing. Your relationship has to start somewhere. I, I do push back on this idea that, and, and maybe there's some truth to it. I know the NFL has, has started to dip their toe into this idea of, of pushing minority candidates unfortunately, in my opinion, because of the color of their skin, as opposed to th- their qualifications. I totally understand that they're there for a long time in the NFL was a lot of reason to believe it was kind of an old boys club and like guys not getting hired because of the, like it's a double-sided issue here. I totally agree. It was, it was bad in the past or now if certain owners or teams weren't hiring folks because of the color of their skin, it is bad for the NFL in my opinion as well to push guys because of the color of their skin and not their qualification. Now, if they're pushing guys that are minorities that are also qualified, then cool. Awesome. Great. Get the best guys in there. Even better. If if there's better representation. And in my opinion, and from what I've heard on, on the whole of, of my evaluation of Rand Carthon and the job that he's done and the job that he was expected to do when he was hired, I believe that he is one of those guys that is a minority hire, which is a, a, a good thing for the diversification of the league. But he's also a guy that absolutely 100% without a shadow of a doubt was deserving of his job. He is not a guy that was hired to be a GM because he's sort of worked near the job. We think he can get away with it and he's black. Like that's crazy to me. That's crazy to think that his track record absolutely precedes him. So this idea that he was a minority hire, he was an equity hire. It's crazy to me. Maybe there was some pushing from the NFL for the Titans who in the the distant past, the medium to distant past have reportedly had some issues with this kind of thing. 
Um, like let's, you know, the league's kind of nudging the, NFL, the the Titans like, hey, this would be a great guy to hire. And they vetted him. But I do not for a second believe that Amy Adams Trunk, who I think is a very competent, very talented owner, went and interviewed Rand Carthon and decided, you know what, we're going to, you know, I'm talking to Mike Vrabel and, you know, we, we've decided we're going to hire this guy because we think that he's qualified enough and he's a minority, which is awesome. Like, no, they hired him because they thought he was the best guy for the job in a pool. I believe a final pool of three guys that included two white guys and Rand Carthon. Like they didn't hire Rand Carthon because he was the odd man out. They hired him because they thought he was going to be the best man for the job. And and for that reason, I think that the idea that he is a minority hire is ridiculous. I do not push back on this idea that there is potentially some, some turmoil in that building. JT, what have folks before I continue, what have folks in the comments been saying about this idea? I really, I want to spend most of today's show on this idea of Rabel and Carthon and where the Titans are in the front office. Um, but, but what have folks had to say about this? Yeah, there's a couple here. First one from green thumb here saying Amy is not getting rid of variable. This story is tiring. And I know the past reporters are bored because they green, green thumb. I agree. It's tiring. It's ti- whether it's right or wrong, whether it's true or false, it is absolutely tiring. I hate talking about this kind of thing. We rarely go into this kind of specious, speculation on the show, but I felt like today we kind of had to. Um, and then uh, Daniel Fraser also says, which is an interesting point to what you said. It's possible he made it up, but just as likely that someone said all that to him, but without True. much content context. Sure. So that's where maybe the story comes. And then Logan also coming in here and saying Vrabel isn't going to force his way out. I think Vrabel is pushing for more control over the roster versus 50, 50 with Rand. Vrabel wanted his guy at GM so he could be the puppet master maybe a little far there. Um, so let's talk about that. Like let's, let's yeah, dive into that. that I was, here. I was about to say like they, that also could be where the point of contention is. You have Vrabel who is a guy who wants to have his guys and you're bringing sure. in a guy from a San Francisco uh, kind of franchise who have been historically very, very good at finding good players. And I see where the two kind of sides could start to bash heads and realize that. And this is something we've talked about since Rand Carthen has what was hired is that there might be a a struggle for power, but ultimately how this will work is that they, yes, they're going to struggle for power, but they all end up answering to Amy Adams Strunk in the end. And and no no one goes behind someone else because of that. That was kind of what, what was, was said at the beginning of his tenure. I still believe that I think that is going to be what this relationship is built on, but I, you still are going to get bashing of heads and, and things like this from time to time, especially like you said, when your team is not doing good. I, I agree. And we've talked about this in the show in terms of trying to parse out like who's actually in charge from a personnel standpoint, from a who plays standpoint. Is it Mike Vrabel's team and Rand Carthen still kind of like getting his feet wet? In my opinion, I believe on paper that it is what Amy Adams Strunk and Carthon and, and Vrabel all said back in the spring. It's a, it's a triangle, right? It is Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel, and they are equals, and they answer to Amy Adams Strunk. I think that that is, on paper, how things are. Now, would it shock me in the least to find out that in the building, you know, in in the actual art of war, when it comes to making a final decision or butting heads and somebody's opinion having to win out, Mike Vrabel has more sway, whether that's just in the relationship he has with Rand Carthen and Carthen, um, like, bends the knee to him a little bit or maybe it's that the the folks that are you know around because it's not just random mike making these decisions there's a whole support staff maybe the whole support staff um goes with what mike says a little bit more you know than with ran because naturally mike has built up a rapport with them or maybe they fear mike more than ran or whatever it may be like that wouldn't shock me at all but i think on paper 
it is a 50-50 situation. And I it's a it's a really it's the whole thing is a mess from a narrative standpoint. I know a lot of folks are again calling this tiring and thinking it's a nothing burger in general. I I, in, like there's there's a couple things in life that I I try to get back to basics on when I'm confused about something, and I was telling you you about this like last night. One of the things I, I often try to resort to is when I'm trying to figure out why somebody did something or why something is the way that it is. I liked it, and I'm I'm sure I'm butchering the original quote, but like I try not to attribute to malice what I can attribute to stupidity. Like in general, I think that when something somebody somebody or something goes wrong that it's usually because somebody was dumb and messed up and not because they were being malicious. That's one of the things that I try to live by. Another thing I try to live by is uh, a saying that if you listen to any like medical dramas, I'm sure you've heard this before. Have you ever, have you ever heard um, when you hear hoofbeats think horses, not zebras? I love that phrase because it's basically just like it's KISS. It's keep it simple, stupid. Like in general, the the simplest explanation is the true one, right? When you hear hoofbeats, Think horses, not zebras. And when I hear the hoofbeats in this Titans organization of people are upset, there's a power struggle, Vrabel might want to get out, things aren't going well, they're not winning games, All the, the team isn't talented, all these things, whose fault is it? Are people on the hot seat? All of this narrative mess, which again, I don't, I, I'm not going to sit here and lie and tell you, I know the answer about how Amy Adams Strunk feels about whose seat is hot and where this team is at. I'm not going to tell you about how any of these three people we're talking about feel, because I don't know, I'm not a mind reader. But I do believe that the, the the easy explanation for why all of this is even a thing is that they're not winning ball games is that this team isn't talented and they're in a they're in choppy waters like they're not in calm seas right now they're not cruising they're trying to batten down the hatches and just get through the night of the storm like that's where they're at and that's a natural part of the team building cycle it's a necessary evil but i do think that another phrase that i'm probably going to butcher big phrase guy today you know winning winning fixes everything and that's, I think, ultimately, this team, I think Vrabel and Carthen are going to, I, I believe, in general, the Diana Rossini report from The Athletic a couple of days ago about how, again, even though we know that Vrabel is almost, Vrabel or somebody in Vrabel's inner circle is her source on pretty much everything Titans, and that's why she's often accurate, because often what Vrabel says is true to her. Um, but, like, I believe her report that, in general, to generalize her report, Vrabel is expected, the Titans organization wants him to be their coach for the long term and and he plans on staying she kind of doubled down on that report when ohio state lost to michigan this past weekend and said sorry ohio state fans Frable's not going anywhere you can forget him as your next coach now that's kind of interesting to me not to get too squirrel sidetracked on this but she or in the original report was talking about how the titans wanted Vrabel to be their guy for the long term but then in, in that tweet, she kind of alluded to the idea that Vrabel isn't interested in going anywhere. And that's kind of an interesting thing. I don't think she'd say that without having some kind of a clue as to where his head is at. So I think that in general, it's the losing and it's the turmoil and it's the natural choppy seas of this team building cycle that is, is causing this. And I do believe that Rand Carthen and Mike Vrabel are going to be a partnership for at least the next, like for the medium term future. I think that that's where that's going to be for this team. I wouldn't be shocked at all if there's a little bit of a power play here from Mike Vrabel where it's like, you know, I'm I'm not actually super interested in going to New England. I would like to stay here, but because they're interested and because we're in the team building situation that we're in, it can't hurt me 
to kind of wink and nod and, and blow kisses at the New England Patriots or any other team that is publicly interested in me in order to, in the offseason, go to my ownership, go to my employers and say, hey, like, I'd like a little bit more power. Or I'd like a little bit more say in this. Or I'd like a little bit more money. You know, like that that wouldn't shock me at all. That's that's business, baby. That's how it works. Um, JT, do you, do you disagree with any of that? Do people in the comments disagree with any of that? I, I, I personally don't disagree with that. I think it's, a, I, I think that's a very interesting situation right there now with, with Mike Vrabel and what he could do in the off season. There's also a part to this where it is how much, like what, what really changes it for Mike Vrabel from going from a Titans team that has one of the, one of the highest like amount of cap next season and is probably going to have a pretty decent pick to going to a Patriots team that for for better or for worse is probably a lot more lost right now than this yes. Titans team is. Like yes. what 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 would you gain by doing that? It's hard for me to see him realistically wanting to do that besides just kind of the pomp and circumstance of it all, him going back to his old team to coach that team that he won a Super Bowl as a player with, but just from looking at it on paper, that this Titans team even as 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 much of a rough spot that they are in, it is better than the Patriots situation yes. right now. Yes. And it will be better. It's better than the Patriots situation in 2024 and 2025 and beyond. When again, and it, it's absolutely better if the Patriots were to try to trade for Mike Frabel, the, they, they would be, ha they would be giving away the, the, the keys to their future in order to bring him in. Right. Like, you know, like that, those draft picks are, are what this new England Patriots team are going to, really need in order to jumpstart this organization and be competitive anytime soon. So um, any comments we, we need to address before we move on from this topic? Because we do have some other things to talk about today. Yeah, just to round this out, there's a couple here in which Zedin says can't speak to the hiring process, but everyone he has drafted is playing significant snaps this yep. year. And we're going to get into that right after this, actually, on a yes, couple of are. them, of two guys that he did. Tim Meadows also says in, in the case of uh, maybe Rand Carthen wanting his own guy. Historically, new GMs hire their own coaching staff, and Vrabel wants sure. wants to bring in his own guys. But how well has that worked so far? Might be time to bring in new coaches that would bring new life to this team and the players. All just interesting spots there. I, I, I understand what you're saying there, Tim, about Vrabel wanting to bring his own players in. I mean, like to to play devil's advocate there, I, I am old enough to remember the '93 player season where the Titans were the number one seed and Vrabel had to, I mean, Vrabel and John Robinson, you could argue whose guys were the ones that were brought in, but they had to bring in like 40 players that weren't on their roster on day one of the season in order to play very significant snaps that season. And you ask like, how's that worked out so far that year? They went through 93 guys and were the most injured team in the league by a country mile. And they were the one seed in the AFC like that. That worked that time. Again, it's easy to forget that because the past calendar year or so the last 17 games or so it's not gone so well and i am of the mind that i get where you're coming from there i'm not we've not to relitigate the past 17 episodes we've done on this show but um and sorry if i'm sniffly today i've got a little bit of a sinus infection um it, it i i am of the mind that the the personnel deficiencies on this team right now are much more a result of the job that john robinson did than of Mike Vrabel bringing in his guys. I'm sure there have been some decisions Mike Vrabel has made that have been wrong. Again, he is not faultless. He is not God. He's a he's a man trying to coach a football team that I think, on the whole, the, the whole record of his decisions have been very good. And he's made some bad ones recently, and that happens. And I'm I'm 
I'm willing to give him more time. And I think that he's willing to give this team some more time. So we can leave it at that. Um, okay. Let's talk about what else we have to talk about on today's show. A couple more topics and then some news from producer JT before we get out of here on a Tuesday afternoon for the Wednesday show. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. It, it tell you what, on our rundown, it takes a while to get past that long quote from Greg Bedard. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of words there. A lot of words, not a lot of things to say, but a lot of words. Let's talk about Will Levis. Let's talk about the offensive line. Like you said, two players that ran Carthen drafted this past season. Will Levis, the second round pick uh, for the 33rd. Yeah, 33rd overall pick. And uh, he also drafted Jalen Duncan out of Maryland, the Titans right now starting left tackle got his first start at left tackle against the Panthers this past weekend. A lot of folks curious about the job that he did in that game. I got a chance this morning, finally to go back, watch the all 22 of him and do my best to evaluate the job that he did and the situation that he was, the situations that he was put in. And I have some thoughts on that, but let's start with Will Levis first. Um, We've got a good friend here on the show, Sean McAvoy, professional quarterback coach, works with some of the biggest stars in the the NFL and in college. I mean, personal quarterback coach to Malik Willis, and that's how we got involved with him. But he's been involved with guys that are starters around the league in the past, and he's going to be involved with many of the starters of the future uh, that have come up through the high school and college ranks. So he is absolutely a source that we go to on a pretty regular basis. And he listens to the show. So, Sean, if you're listening, we appreciate you. And we're going to have you back on the show once again at some point. We talked about this today when we were speaking with him. We're going to have him on the show at some point today to discuss uh, Will Levis and what he's seen from him. But we had a, a little bit of a text conversation with him today. This was on the heels of him on his Twitter account talking about how he thinks that Bryce Young is in a pretty bad situation, but made it clear that he was not a Bryce Young like he is QB1. He was not a Bryce Young QB1 guy during the draft process. We had him on our show. He was gracious enough to give us some time on the quarterback episode pre-draft. We went through the top 10 quarterbacks in the draft. He gave us his top 10. He had Stroud and Richardson above uh, Bryce Young. Had Bryce Young as his QB3, I believe. He gave me some crap today on Twitter, by the way, for changing my opinion on Bryce Young. I said earlier, great sports talk. Great, great sports analysis, great sports podcasting is about gloating when you're right, victory laps when you're right, and um, and making fun of yourself when you're wrong. It's also about being willing to change your mind, in my opinion. The most annoying sports, sports talk people are the people that double and triple and quadruple down on ideas when they're clearly wrong. Um, and if you've listened to the show since April, you know that at some point in April, and he has given me a hard time for at the buzzer changing my opinion, lay off me, Sean. Okay, all that matters is... I came on the show and I did a mea culpa and said for the past couple of months, I have had Bryce Young in my QB one. I don't believe that anymore. And for a couple of weeks now, I've not actually believed that I'm bumping him down to three. I just think that the physical deficiencies limitations are going to be too much to overcome and too much to make him the QB one. I'm putting Richardson first and Stroud second in kind of a second tier with Stroud and with, uh, with young. Now you could argue Easton, you're wrong about Stroud certainly seems like it so far. Certainly seems like he was QB one with the bullet so far. It's very early, but he's been uh, incredible. Um, a lot of people were, but I've been gloating at points during this season about Anthony Richardson on the show. And he's giving me a hard time for that. So lay off Sean. However, that's, that's just, I had to put that out there. I had to put that out there. Um, let's talk about Will Levis though. I did ask him during this conversation. Hey, by the way, what, what are your thoughts on Will Levis? Like, what have you seen from him so far? And here's what he had to say about Will Levis in uh, the five games he started for the Titans. He said, quote, I think he's been okay so far. Flashes for sure has gotten away with a, a few bad throws and decisions. Obviously, really good versus Atlanta, which was huge. Earned him the grace to be more up and down since then. I thought he followed up with a strong first half versus Pitt in a, a Pittsburgh in a, in a tough environment. 
pretty average the last three weeks. I'd agree with everything he said so far. I agree with this next statement in particular. I'd like to see him use his legs a little bit more, maybe. A little over-reliance on scripted shot play calls and double moves, etc. But credit to him for hitting them when they've been open, which is something that Tannehill didn't really do at the beginning of the season. Uh, but he says, I agree with most um, who think it's a really tough evaluation with the offensive line situation, etc. He certainly hasn't been the problem or a reason that they've been losing games. He looks comfortable and confident. I think he's handling the situation really well and staying positive. But he did say, I'm a little bit surprised by some of the quote, man, we definitely have our future at QB, uh, end quote, statements that I've seen from some of the fan base. But I do like the optimism. So just wanted to share some thoughts from a pro's pro on quarterback evaluation. I agree with what he said. It sounds like uh, we're on the same page. I, I totally, totally, totally agree that I want to see him use his legs a little bit more. I want to see him navigate the pocket more freely, like take off. Sometimes you're a talented young player. Like I get it. You don't want to take hits or whatever, but with this offensive line situation in particular, and some of the, the days that this skill position group has go, take off, man, go run. Like I, 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 I've been watching the past couple of games, JT, and that's been a thing that he's done a couple of times where I'm like, go just, just take off. Will, have you felt that way when you've been watching him? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like what I've said the last couple of weeks. It's whereas, with Malik between Will Levis and Malik Willis, it's been very opposite night and day for me in my evaluation of the two in which Malik Willis, he, he runs far too often in, in fi finds ways to kind of get out of his reads and not let the play progress. And he instantly takes off or tucks the ball. And he's very prone to take sacks in his young career. Whereas I think Will Levis is the complete opposite. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but Will Levis in, in his case, stays in the pocket a little bit too long, waiting for plays to fully develop. And then when it's not there, still taking those sacks. I'd like to see him take off a little bit more, just as I would like to see Malik, Malik Willis stick it in the pocket a little bit more and let those plays develop. So like from two young guys like that, like I, I totally agree with him on his evaluation there of, of Will Levis. I'd like to see him extend some plays like we saw Bryce Young do against this Tennessee Titans defense. Cause, cause like we saw the Carolina Panthers move the ball when, when you get your quarterback out in space and able to extend those plays, good things can happen. And maybe a, a, a third down uh, conversion rate, like we saw against the Carolina Panthers wouldn't happen so often. No, I, I totally agree. Um, let's talk about the other player that, that ran drafted that I wanted to give some thoughts on very briefly. Jalen Duncan got his first start at left tackle. And like I said, I got some, some opportunity this morning to watch him. My, my general review on him. And again, I am not, I'm not going to ever pretend to you guys that I am the, the master evaluator of any player on the field. Certainly not of linemen, right? Like I, I'm a not novice, but I am certainly not a, a master at evaluating linemen. A lot of my evaluation, to be totally honest with you. And I think that the best folks in this industry do this. It, I'm looking to people that I know are smarter than me on these topics. And like, double checking my work against theirs and getting my fundamental tenets of evaluation from them. And so my opinion mixed with some opinions that I've seen from others that I trust is that he was two things are true on Sunday. He was the fifth out of five linemen out there for the Titans. So that starting rotation was the fifth best. Um, and also it was one of, if not the best performances at left tackle the Titans have had this season. Now, some things to parse that. They were playing a very, very bad Carolina team and a bad Carolina pass rush. Um, so that helps. Very good. I mean, like, that's what you want, honestly, for a guy in his first start. A player that we talked about quite a bit during the pre-draft process, JT, before we knew he was ever going to be a Titan. I mean, I, I had a tweet um, on day two, I think. 
I was saying he could be a, a late day two pick that would be a nice developmental tackle prospect or maybe a guard. He does have shorter arms, so like the length is a bit of an issue. And so some folks, like he's he got 33 inch arms. That's I think like 16th percentile for tackles. So it wouldn't shock me if long term he's a guard in this league. But he played tackle for three or four, maybe I think he may have been five year senior uh, in college at Maryland, and uh, that's a position he was comfortable with. And they decided to play the left tackle this past week, and he was. Fine. Again, it was better than some of the Dylan Raiden's performances. Certainly better than some of the Dent, uh, Dent Dennis Daly, um, the uh, Andre Andre. Andre I, I at this point they're synonymous in my mind. Truly, it's <laughs> unfortunate, but they're the same person. Um, Andre Diller performances, and so that's good. Certainly, some room to improve his hand placement and technique, like the usage of his hands up and down it, it, the technique. You could tell he'd been working on some really nice polished technique on certain plays and on others. He got got beat, and part of that's because of the length, and part of that's because he's one of those guys, because of that shorter reach, he's going to have, like, his technique is very, it's so, technique's important in general, but his technique is so, so important because he's got to overcome that that reach and that length deficiency. Um, And there were some plays where he got got in that way. I, I also took issue with his play strength on certain plays. There's that, that clip that went kind of viral during rookie training camp back in May of him going full, um, him going full, panda isaiah wilson where people made fun of him for in the bubble at practice one day getting absolutely bull rushed i think by peter skaronsky and just put on his butt and that was a meme then and, and it was kind of funny watching there were a, a, just a couple of plays in this carolina game where he just got bull rushed out I mean, just thrown out the gym like just pushed back into the pocket pushed back into will levis his play strength was kind of an issue at times. And so that's one of my biggest gripes, but in general, and one thing to be, to be fair to him and a, a plus for him is they were giving him less help in this game, partially because against this Panthers team, they were finally playing an opponent bad enough where they were afforded the luxury of being able to not throw like two or three people to help chip on every single play for this wretched offensive line. Um, but they weren't giving him as much help as some of the other left tackles have gotten in other games for this team. So it's not like he was kind of up and down and had a ton of help. He had some help, but it wasn't crazy. It wasn't like some of the games we've seen. And so he, the general opinion for me, the, the bottom line, now that I'm done rambling about all my thoughts on him is this, he absolutely has a lot of room for improvement. And I do question whether or not he's going to be a, a tackle long-term in this league. I question whether or not he is a tackle solution for this team going forward as much as the team would like him to be, because that would certainly be nice. However, he definitely, definitely, definitely performed well enough in this one game against a bad team to warrant getting, I think, the rest of the season at left tackle or a tackle position to try out, to try to develop, to try to stack some games and show improvement. And the Titans, you could, especially considering their alternatives, like the other options, you you know, you throw, you throw Raidens back over there, eh, you, you throw, God forbid, you throw Andre Dillard back in there. Um, they're they've already proven they're not going to bump Skronsky out. So there's that. I think that he's the guy you got to rock with going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you. And, and like, like, um, like Mike Rabel said on Monday, and this is where I was able to agree with him. He said, yeah, he was okay. He had some good plays, but there are always things to improve. And I thought it was the exact same. I would put, yeah, he was okay. But for a sixth round pick in, in a sixth round rookie going into his first game against, like you said, a, uh, a, a, Carolina Panther team that ranks 28th in, in defense this, this season, um, not the worst, it's not, not the worst, worst uh, but it was a good start for him. I do think it's interesting that um, playing at left tackle, his, his run blocking ability 
pr- improved greatly from from his very limited play in, in the past uh, two other games that he was in. Um, I, I thought it was really helpful, especially on those two Derrick Henry runs. He was a big reason why Derrick Henry was able to get to the outside, um, and so he was he was doing a lot better in, in those in those games and. We have a couple of people here uh, talking in the chat here. Tighten up Tony says Duncan can be a starter. I don't know if he, like he's saying, I don't know if he is the starter, but I think he certainly can develop into a nice starter. Now, does he prove enough that upcoming in the, in this next NFL draft with just how much talent there is at the disposal of these teams to draft this year? Does that make you feel secure enough as you go into a different direction and not take one of these prime tackle guys yet to be seen long shot in my opinion. But I do think that at worst, he is a nice depth piece and and can um, develop into someone that is useful for this Titans team. Well, and here's the good news for Jalen Duncan along those lines. The Titans are a team that's in a situation where they need two tackles next year. Like they need two new guys. And if he can prove that he getting two quality tackles in an offseason, even when you have a, a higher draft pick and a hundred million dollars in cap space, very difficult. They're just not a, like it's a supply and demand issue. It's a, and specifically a demand issue or excuse me, a supply issue. Uh, there, there isn't any out there. Like it's very, very difficult to find them. We're, we ain't making them like we used to. And because of that, he could be in a situation where he's not your first choice. If you could just like go full expansion team and like pick and choose your guys. But because it's so hard and there's so many, it's not just the offensive line for this team. Like they've got gaping holes everywhere. He could be in a situation where maybe they draft a stud left tackle. That's going to be their guy. And then he gets bumped over to right tackle. And it's like, you know, we're going to, we're going to give you a long runway here out of necessity, Jalen. Like you're going to get the past, the last seven games of the Titans 2023 season. And then the start of the 2024 season as the starter at a tackle position or somewhere on the offensive line. Cause we don't really have an alternative. I'm not saying that's going to be the case, but He's in a situation where it wouldn't shock me if that's what happens, right? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. All right, uh, last topic today before we get to the news with producer JT. We're already an hour over. This, we spent a long time on that variable discussion, but I think it was worth it. Um, let's talk about the playoffs. Playoffs? Talking about playoffs with the Titans? Yes, we are. It's an interesting one this year for the NFL and I mean, for the Titans. They're involved in this because they are one of the 20... What is this? 20... Is it three teams? Yeah, I think there's 29 teams in the league right now. Hang on, let me let me fact yes, check myself. That is correct. Yeah, 29 teams in the league right now are within two games of a wild card playoff spot. There are only three teams in the league right now: the Patriots, the Panthers, and the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals. They all have less than four wins. They are the the actual basement of the NFL. But every other team in the entire league has four or more wins. And every other team in the entire league is is two wins away from a wild card spot. So get ready down the stretch here for, you know, your intro or outro out of, in, in or out of the commercial break, watching the broadcast of each and every game you watch. They throw up the AFC or the NFC or both playoff pictures and then in the hunt. Get ready for an in the hunt section that like, I don't know, maybe it's going to be like at the airport where you've got so many different departures that like it's a scrolling ticker. Maybe it's a scrolling ticker of teams because they can't fit them all in there. Maybe you're going to need to like get a really big flat screen in order for it to not to be pixelated. So you can actually read the number of names. Like it's the entire conference on both sides, but especially in the AFC it's bonkers. How many teams are in contention? Again, the Titans are at the bottom of the list of the teams that are in contention. It's them and the chargers at four and seven. 
but they are right there with like the Raiders at five and seven, the Bengals at five and six, the Bills at six and six, the Broncos at six and five, Texans at six and five. Like they're all right there. They've got games, two games left against the Texans. They've got a game left against the Colts, who are six and five. Um, they got a game left against the Jaguars, who are currently leading the division or at, at eight and three. They're one of the teams contending. I mean, the number one seed in the AFC is going to be a photo finish. It's going to be incredible. Four teams from four different conference or four different divisions, JT. The Ravens at nine and three, the Chiefs at eight and three, the Jaguars at eight and three, the Dolphins at eight and three. It's going to be it's going to be a photo finish between those four teams for who gets that precious, precious buy. That's not super common. Like typically you have teams running away with it. Typically you have a pretty significant gap between the teams that are actually in the hunt and the teams that are kind of falling apart. So this is going to be a really, really exciting race down the, down the finish here. I am not by any stretch of the imagination saying that I'm expecting the Titans to make a playoff push, but I am saying on paper, mathematically, they are absolutely still in the hunt. And uh, if they win, I mean, if they're home and away splits continue to prove true, it wouldn't shut because the, the the teams that are within one game of the, t- the teams that are within one game of 500 right now, the Colts, Texans, Broncos, Bills, Bengals, and then the, the Raiders, Chargers, Titans are all uh, more just over one more game away. That's that's five teams within 500 and three teams that are just shy of being within 500. That's so that's eight teams in total that are all, I think, going to if things are like maybe somebody starts to bottom out and just lose a ton of games. It wouldn't shock me if there's like eight or nine teams in the AFC this year that are all right there at like 10 and seven, nine and eight, eight and nine, seven and 10, like all right there in that mix. And it's a lot of this guy gets this tiebreaker scenario and oh, they won the head to head or oh, they had the strength of schedule. That's where I see this finishing. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And as Kenneth says here, uh, the un- the the immovable object versus the the force. Not, now I'm messing up the phrases, but Titans home record versus Titans record against teams with a winning record. They're about that to is a, that is an unstoppable force versus an immovable object. That well, is it, it'll be interesting Kenneth. to see what happens this weekend and it going will. forward because the Titans will have a lot of games at Nissan stadium. They will also have a lot of games against teams with winning records down the stretch here. So it will be very, very interesting. Something has to fold. Something has to give, right? Like our buddy, Mike Herndon tweeted out earlier this week that, you know, he was like, do this information, what you will. The Titans are zero and five against teams with a winning record this year. And they don't have a team left on their remaining schedule. The next what? Six games they have left. Yeah. Six games that doesn't have, like they have six teams in a row left that have a winning record. And they are currently 0-5 this year against teams with the winning record. The pushback on that, as Kenneth is referring to, is that all five of those losses came on the road, baby. They 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 get a, they get four of their last seven, right? Four, yeah, four. No, th- three of their last six. How many home games do they have left? Four, four, right? I think they have four of their last six games yes. are at home. Yeah, yes. four of their last six the, games are at home. Colts. You have the Jaguars. You have the Houston, and you have Seattle. Yeah, so four of their last six games, uh, three of those being division games are at home. So maybe the home magic runs out and they were just beating up on trash cans at home. Like totally possible. They, I mean, they've beaten some really bad teams and they've beaten some teams that aren't really bad. Like the chargers aren't a really bad team. They're just really middling team. The Bengals with Joe Burrow, he was hurt, but I, you know, they beat some good teams right after the Titans trounced them. The the Falcons are a very middling team. You could argue they're not a good team, uh, but they, they lost very badly with the Titans. And then the Panthers, the definition of a bad team, the Titans made them look like a bad team. So, Maybe, 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 I don't know what if, if gun to your head today, JT, I'm rambling so much on this. 
gun to your head, which gives the home, the home magic or the, uh, the, the fact that they're not, they don't have, they don't, their supply of bad teams to play at home has run out. I think it's the home magic, man. I think, I think, you think the, that gives, I think it gives man. Okay. And That's the, it, that is the sober rational response. But I, still I, like, I like we that. could see this go all the way up into like that Seattle game. Like just, just think about it. Like, there, there is a real possibility in which the, the the Titans find a way to win against this this injury and mistake prone uh, Colts team this week. Go on the road and get trounced by a Miami team. Come back and get a a get right. Hey, game Miami in- team, by the way, not to cut you off, but I'm not sure people need to be reminded of this. My buddy last night, my, our buddy Austin, asked me like, "Don't the Titans play the Dolphins this year?" I go, "Oh, buddy, not only do they play the Dolphins still, but they play them on the road on Monday night." On Monday Night Football, <laughs> poor America being subjected to that. It's going to be, it's going to be a football game. Yeah, but like they could lose that game somehow, come back and upset CJ Stroud at home, and, and then keep going. Do you think the Texans get them twice? Like if you had to guess today, do you, I, I feel like the Titans are going to find a way to win one of those two games. And the first one will come, the first one will come at home at Nissan, where they're once again wearing their throwback uniforms again. So that, that might be defeated by the way, undefeated in the Oilers uniforms. I'll tell you this much. If that's, and that's three weeks from now, right? Three weeks from now, I believe. Um, I'll tell you, I, I, right now, I believe they're going to find a way to win one of those games against Houston. If they get beat handily at home against Houston, my tune's going to change so fast on that, man. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be like, they're going to sweep them. They're going to murder them on the road in Texas, but knowing the Titans team, maybe it's the inverse because nothing makes sense. Uh, Z Dean says he's flying down to Miami for the Monday night game. He hopes it's at least a little close. My brother and dad were talking about this and I was going to go with them just to cover the game on the road, which I do sometimes, but not all the time. Um, and they, a couple weeks ago, we decided to just scrap that idea. It's like, eh, nah, 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 maybe, ne- maybe next year. Um, so yeah, I, I g- gun to your head, JT, one last gun. To, I'm putting so many guns to your head today. One last gun to your head. How many Titans have four home games left? How many of those do they win? Two. I think it's two. I think I'm giving, I'm giving, I really think that, that, that Seattle game is, is a and win. Do they win they, and then they lose out on the road. Is that what you think they're going to win two I more think- games the rest of the year? Yeah, I think they win two games. Eleven. Yeah, I mean, I think they have a good chance against that Seattle team, and then either the the game at home against the Texans or this week against the Colts. I think are their next best two chances to win, in my opinion. I think you're right, but I also think, as I like to emphasize in this show all the time, that anything can happen. So a playoff picture that we're definitely going to keep an eye on. All right, uh, shout out to our wonderful and amazing sponsors, Boom Buzz Craft Pizza and Tap House, three locations in Middle Tennessee area in East Nashville in. Spring Hill, where we're at each and every Thursday night before Thursday Night Football doing the show. And then in Murfreesboro, wherever you are in the Middle Tennessee area, find the Boombaz nearest you. Go check it out. You're going to love the food. I promise. Tell them that Easton and JT and the Hot Read Podcast sent you. All right, JT, one last thing to get to today, and it is the news with producer JT. We've got a lot to get to today. So JT, without further ado, what news do we have? Yeah, let's start out with an AFC South roundup here and just talking about the best and worst NFL divisions based on their combined point differential this season. The AFC North, who have a lot of teams with re- winning records, two of th- or three or four are in the playoff picture right now, have a uh, One of them's a fraud, but <laughs> combined point differential this season of 114 points plus 114. The next best division this year is the AFC South with a plus, oh yes of course with, of course. with a plus 18 point differential so Wild. just goes to show you first of all that the AFC South is still finding ways to win games 
Um, and, but there's a huge disparity right now between the AFC North and the rest of the league. It is. And there's also, I think you forgot to include it on, on the rundown here. There's a massive disparity between the rest of the league and the NFC South. I think their point differential mm. is like minus 63 or something. So, uh, pretty much every division is right, right within 20 plus or minus of zero, except for the AFC North, which is way over in the AFC or the NFC South, which is way under. Uh, but yeah, of course, like as we all predicted, as we all projected the, the AFC South, the second best point differential team in the league or the team uh, division in the league. It's just a bunch of juggernauts down here. Yeah. And one more thing on this props to the AFC West who have been able to somehow, despite a, a Miami thrashing of the Broncos, 70 to 50, a minus 50 point swing in that differ differential only minus two on the year. So congrats to the Broncos for bringing that back. That is hilarious. Teams. A hilarious point. Cause if you take that one game out, they look so much better as a as a division. They and do. The, 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 I'm sure that they're they're kicking the Broncos for really. They're like the guy of the team project that didn't do squat, and you go up there to present, and the teacher's like, "I need in order to give you all a grade, I need participation for everybody." And then that last guy is just like, uh, "I don't know," and he just reads the slide and, and doesn't get it right. Like that's that's the Broncos. Yeah, and, and moving on now to a preview of the preview of this titans and colts game running back jonathan taylor will need to undergo thumb surgery and the team is hopeful he can return in two to three weeks owner jim ursay said today of course zach moss is there and he was very impressive in the last time he played the titans but once again the the titans will not have to face jonathan taylor who has looked really good the past couple of weeks since coming back from his contract dispute yeah i was gonna say the good news is that they don't have to see Taylor who has looked better and better and more and more dominant the past couple of weeks. That's good news. Bad news is they're going to have to face Zach again, who again, I think he had 165 yards for two tuds when they played in Indianapolis in week four or week five this year. So, uh, to Zach Moss, it's the revenge game against Zach Moss for this Titans defense. They'll have Tier Tart back. I'm assuming. So, Perhaps this is a get right spot for them against the, the fighting Zach Mosses. <laughs> Moving on here uh, for the Texans, a source reported today that the Eagles edge Derek Barnett was claimed by the Houston Texans. So another pretty solid piece for that Houston Texans team who, despite losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars this past week, still do have a very real shot at the division and are looking to make a playoff push. That D D just getting better and better. And uh, I, think, I think they got a little bit better by adding Barnett, uh, former former volunteer of VFL Tennessee Titans clearly weren't interested in pandering to the volunteers by entertaining him. Um, and the, the, the Texans get him off the waivers. I think that he's probably gonna be a plug and play guy down there. Another guy that the, that many Titans fans wanted the Titans to be interested, interested in, but it doesn't look like it'll happen. Free agent linebacker Shaquille Leonard, who was cut by the Colts two, a week and a half ago, uh, visited with the Cowboys today and it concluded without a contract. Someone report a familiar, uh, source with the situation said, but that doesn't necessarily mean um, that he he won't sign with them. But now he moves and goes to Philadelphia to meet with them, and will decide after that. So one of those uh, NFC East teams that are looking to make a retread, push. He feels like a retread old linebacker. Like just we'll just patch our whole linebacker with this guy. Move for uh, for the Eagles. I kind of feel that's like, what I agree. Like, yeah, this is going to be an Eagle play. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so as well. Um, and then finally, Eddie George is one of the twenty five semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction for next year. He's one of those semifinalists. It's his second time, and the list will be trimmed to fifteen with up to five making it. So he is once again in the hunt this year. 
yeah, very cool recognition for him. He's not going to get in. I don't think he's ever going to get in. He's one of those guys that's in that very, very good and close, but not quite tier. And uh, it's cool that he's getting recognition as being a close, but not quite guy. So maybe he'll get lucky and the, the people in charge of voting Paul Kaharski and the gang decide that he deserves to be in, but uh, I, I wouldn't hold your breath on that. All right. That is producer JT with the news. And that is our show today. Appreciate everybody with a little bit of a longer show. Last time we went an hour 15. It's been a long time, JT. It, has. Uh, it was a good one today. Appreciate everybody tuning in with, with us live. Listen to us um, in post. Appreciate you listening to the podcast or the YouTube video version of the show. Come hang out with us live next time. It's a great time. And we'd love to have you in the comments. Like so many of you were with us today. Make sure to tune back in Thursday, super easy, 5.30 each and every Thursday, uh, 5.30 Eastern. Why do I keep saying Eastern? I live in Central Standard Time. What's wrong with me? 5.30 Central Standard Time on Thursday before Thursday Night Football. Who's playing this week? I've forgotten. JT, it's the Cowboys and Seahawks. Cowboys, I good. It's a good, should be a good matchup. I like that. I like Cowboys Seahawks. So we'll be talking best bet gauntlet at the end of the show, which is my favorite segment all week long. But to start the show, most of the show, we're talking about the Titans and the Colts. Big rematch for the Titans at home this time in Nissan Stadium at noon on Sunday. We'll be talking all about that matchup and what the Titans need to do differently this time to change the outcome of this one. Until then, for producer JT, I'm your host, Houston Freeze. Subscribe on YouTube at Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page. It's free. It's very helpful to us. And please follow us on social media at Hot Read Pod, at Hot Read Pod on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Until Thursday. This has been the Hot Read Podcast, and we'll talk to you then.